they buried me in the water and I came out new. <laughs> now I'm baptized in blue. Welcome to the Officer Autumn podcast, the only podcast designed specifically for female cops in mind. I hope you enjoy this podcast episode. If you love the music, go check out One Time Music. He's a fellow Leo. You can check him out in the show notes. And his full song, Baptized in Blue, is at the end of this episode. Tom, I'm so excited to have you here. Can you please introduce yourself to everybody? Uh, yes, my name is Tom Walsh. I'm currently working for Street Cop Training as an instructor and doing administrative work here in the offices. And I am a uh, retired police officer of 26 years, worked for a municipal uh, police agency here in the state of New Jersey. Amazing. And so what, what are you teaching at Street Cop? Oh, Street Cop, I'm teaching a class titled Rookie to Retirement. And it's really like a a navigational course, if you would, uh, on how to survive the class from the very first days as a rookie all the way to retirement so that you're set up, that you take certain steps along the way uh, so that you're set up so that when you're eligible to retire, you can do so on your terms. Uh, you know, and I talk about it in the class, basically um, the whole thought of it was on my very first day, it was as a full-time police officer in my agency, it was uh, Christmas Eve in 1996 and an old salty sergeant looked at me and he saw me sitting there before the briefing and he took a Polaroid picture of me because you know I'm aging myself but that's what we had back then for taking mug shots uh, or Polaroid cameras he took it and he looked at the picture and he shook it and he threw it at me as I was sitting in the chair and he said sport and he called everybody sport this was a salty old sergeant you know, he, he's the type of guy that even called the chief sport I mean he'd been a long time he'd been there longer than everybody else uh, nobody screwed with this guy He's an old, uh, old jarhead. Uh, everybody respected him and uh, everybody feared him, quite frankly. And he threw that Polaroid picture. I mean, I, I bobbled it around and I looked at it and he said, sport, hold on to that picture because you're going to be surprised how quick 25 years goes by. Mm -hmm. And he was right. And I say that in the class. He was 100% right. However, I spent the next three or four years with him and he did not mentor me. Uh, he did not give me a lot of guidance or mentorship. And for three years, four years, as he was my sergeant, there was a lot more wisdom he could have imparted on me. I ran into a lot of great mentors along the way. But I said, uh, you know, after talking to somebody else who, who pitched this idea of the class to me, I thought if I had eight hours with myself on that day now, after spending 26 years in law enforcement, what would I tell myself about life, about this career, uh, about surviving it? Uh, what are the things I would talk to myself for six or seven hours in a class? And that's kind of really the impetus of, of the class rookie to retirement. I love that. Now, Tom, were you only a, were you only a patrol officer your whole career? Uh, no, I rose through the ranks. And for the last uh, six years, I was the chief of police at my agency. Wow. So what was that like? Uh, it was, it was quite different uh, in a lot of ways. It was beneficial. It gave me a lot of freedom uh, it gave me the ability to do things I wanted to do for my agency and for my people. Uh, but in a lot of ways, it was, uh, there were some drawbacks. I really, I talk about this in my class also, like I, in the beginning, I show a photograph of myself in a white shirt 
And that really, uh, I don't like the photograph because not only does that shirt add 10 or 15 pounds, <laughs> and for somebody that struggled with their weight uh, for their whole life, uh, that's not good. Also, whenever you eat Chinese food or Italian food, it was never really get on that shirt. You can't rub it in like on a dark blue or a French blue shirt. But uh, truly, it really separated me too much from my men and women in, in law enforcement. I felt I felt like in, in some regards, I, I know this wasn't true, but I, I felt almost like a glorified secretary in a sense. Like I missed the work, you know, I mean, I loved being a cop. Uh, mm -hmm. So in, in those in, in that way, it was a, a drawback. Uh, you weren't actually answering calls anymore. You weren't in in the field doing what you really get into this work for. Uh, but the rewarding part was uh, really helping my agency, giving my officers what they needed, having empathy for them, uh, being a role model and a leader uh, and mentoring them along so that when I left, they were ready to fill those roles. That's important. And did you did you have any like women on your PD or did you have an opportunity to mentor any women? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, my agency was a smaller municipal agency, but it was on the Jersey Shore uh, where we would hire uh, a lot of additional help in the summer season. And some of those people that were uh, great workers, we would keep them on year round. And there certainly were uh, uh, a good amount of females that we brought on for the summer seasonal part. There was also somebody that we had on our full time uh, capacity uh, that came to me and was having an extremely hard time. Uh, getting into law enforcement as a female, specifically hmm. even in my agency before I got uh, into the position of being the chief of police. And uh, it was an interesting uh, in the fact that, you know, she had went to college, she had planned on entering a field of law enforcement or criminal justice field. And then she wound up getting married and life happened and she never got into the field. Um, after she had children and they were uh, slightly older and on their more independent, she wanted to enter the field. And unfortunately, in New Jersey, there's a rule that once you hit a certain age, you cannot become a full time officer. However, we do have that um, ability to hire these seasonal level officers. And uh, there's something called the class two officer, which is very close to all requirements of a full time police officer. Uh, it's just shy of a couple classes. You hold, you carry a firearm. You go through basically the entire uh, academy class, uh, like a regular police officer. And I was able to get her uh, to join the force as the lower level. That's what she wanted to be the class two officer. I was able to get her to do the class one and say, Hey, this is what everybody has to do. I realize you're a very respected person in the community. I realize you have your stuff together um, and, and your drive and your desire to do this, but everybody has to start off as a class one here. And that means, you know, standing out, doing some real grunt work, uh, standing out in the heat, directing traffic, doing the lowest level stuff, packing cones up, putting cones out. And this was a person that wasn't going to be doing it for the money. These people get paid extremely poorly, uh, the seasonal help. And it's also, you know, she was around her peers, other women in the community that had children that were well off, didn't need the money. And she did it. She went through the police academy. Uh, she did everything we've asked of her. And she was an outstanding employee and we brought her on to the next level and she did that. And if I had the opportunity to have hired her as a full-time police officer from my agency, I would have, unfortunately, like I said, the age requirement, she had just surpassed the age requirement and there's nothing you could do about that. And uh, fortunately for her, there are some places in New Jersey that you can get hired, uh, universities and colleges for one, because they're outside that pension system. And she got a full-time job uh, in a local university as a police officer and she's thriving there. She's doing well. I keep in contact with her and, um, you know, there's no doubt 
that she was a role model for uh, other women to mm-hmm. get into law enforcement and women that already were. Can we just talk about that age thing? Like, what are we doing? What's going on? Like, what is the age requirement? Like, what is that? Like, how, like what's, what's, the, what's the number? The number is 35 in, in the state of New Jersey. And uh, the reason why is that at a certain age, uh, you have to age out here in New Jersey. It's 65. So hmm. they, um, I, I think that the thought process behind it is that they don't want people, you know, you have to have a certain amount of time in the pension system to become vested and to be awarded that pension. And they want to cut it off at 65. They don't want uh, older officers. Hmm. That's my, my take on why that originally was set up. It's been there since before I became a police officer here. It's been in effect for quite a long time. It's an administrative code. And yeah. I believe it has to do with that, you know, uh, and I go over that in the class too, about retiring when you're eligible here in New Jersey, people can typically retire with 25 years of service. There's no age requirement at this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but certainly a lot of states around the country are moving to age requirements. They keep bumping it up though. Uh, and it's unfortunate because officers uh, have already have a, a much lower life expectancy, you know, yeah. due to the shift work, the stress, uh, the sedentary lifestyle. There, there's a lot of reasons for it. Um, but New Jersey, at least for some, a lot of things they get wrong, they get right that they do want officers leaving at 65. And it, it just coincides with the amount of time you need to put into the pension system. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I have a hard time with that though, because I'm going to tell you why, like, I, I definitely agree 65, like we do not need 65 year olds on the road. Like we do not, if you're 65, please get the fuck off this job, get out. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But but the thing is, is like, you know, and, and I say this from a girl who started her career at 20 years old. Okay. 20, I was young. I didn't know anything, but like, I don't know. I still, I take a 35, I take a 36 year old officer. I mean, that that's a, a person who's lived a lot of life and I bet would be really good on the streets. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That sucks. But we're going to move on from that. Um. So tell me, so so as a chief, so here's the thing, Tom, we have a lot of women listening to this. Um, and I want to hear from you, you know, just, you know, your experience of working in your department, working on the Jersey shore. Did you ever meet Snooki? Like that is what I want to know. <laughs> no, no, I never, never had the pleasure. <laughs> um, but you know, the thing is, is that like, it's different for us and I'm not pulling the female card. You and I've had long conversations about this. What, what did you see? Like in a way that you felt like, did you see anything that you felt like as a chief or just you saw like officers could do to assist and better support the females? Did you ever see anything like that? Um, well, I just think inherently all minorities have a much harder time with the job. You know, it's historically uh, been a male dominated workforce. And as much as we try to get the police forces to reflect the citizens that they serve and the communities that they serve, it's just, it, it's a tough, uh, tough road. Uh, law enforcement as a profession is difficult uh, to begin with. It's tough. It's hard. You know that. Uh, you have to be squared away. You have to have your shit together. And um, being a minority is just another, it presents a, a host of different obstacles, depending on what your minority is. Um, depending on your agency, depending on the culture of the community you're serving. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of additional hurdles. And I think that because of that, I think it draws uh, minorities, whether you're talking African-American, Hispanic, Asian, Jewish, female, I think it's drawing 
the strongest people from those communities to join uh, because it's already a very difficult career. And some people are delusional. They don't get it, but it is uh, regardless of who you are entering the profession. But being a minority, uh, including and especially women, it presents additional um, obstacles for them. It's just tougher. It's tougher to, to, to get into the field. People think maybe you're not as strong. You know, there's these old mindsets, uh, not as strong, not as smart, you know, I mean, but mm, people are evolving. I'd like to think, I'd like to think police departments, you know, it's a, again, police departments are historically slow to take on change, period. They just are. It's like, uh, it's a quasi-military organization, very structured, very hard to bring on change. But I think that it's changing. I think more and more administrators, it's the ones that I've rubbed elbows with in my six years of being a chief of police, understand and um, the need to reflect the community, have empathy for other people, see strengths in these people and what they can bring to their organizations, you know? Mm. And I, I think, you know, I have a different perspective. I, my father passed away when I was very young. I was raised by a strong woman. Uh, she was one of three uh, girls. So I had two strong aunts. My father had a sister. So I was surrounded by very strong, successful women. So that's my perspective. And I think uh, that, that, you know, that helped me uh, to have a lot of clarity on how much women can bring to, you know, policing, uh, you know, among other things, of course. So, yeah, I think that as people and administrators really evolve, uh, like I said, I think they're acknowledging the old school mindset of, you know, this was a knuckle dragging, you had to be the enforcers of crime and, and, and of, um, you know, enforcers and almost like, you, know, you were looking, there had to be height requirements, weight requirements. They had to be a certain height mm-hmm. uh, where today the, the whole profession has evolved, right? I mean, just in the short time that I've left, I've only been gone from my agency in one year, or I'll just use an example. Like I said, when I became the glorified secretary in some regards as a chief of police, if you asked me to go back out to the patrol car and now do a simple task, even to write a summons, the technological advancements in just those five or six years I was lost. And these younger officers um, really took to it. They would have to mentor me through a lot of the different computer systems and the technology, license plate readers, the body cameras, how they worked, how they had to redact information. It's just a rapidly moving profession like everything else, especially with technology. Uh, so for a long time, I think police departments were resistant as a culture. And now they're, they're playing catch up and they're doing it very rapidly. And so do you have any, like, what would you say to a woman who's, who says, okay, Tom, like, I want to get into police work. What, what do I do? Like, where do I start? Well, I think it's very state specific. I think you have to find out where and how, uh, you know, New Jersey is pretty quirky. There's about three or four different avenues and ways that you can get into policing. There's civil service departments. There's departments that are not civil service. Like I said, there are these seasonal police officers that once they go through the academy, then can go through like a, a, a expedited waiver program where they go back for two weeks and then they get their full certification. So I think it's very state specific for actually applying and becoming a police officer. Uh, I think the best thing to do in regard to that would be find a police officer, find a police officer and have a conversation. Uh, if you don't know one, if you don't have one as a friend or family member, you know, approach one uh, at a Wawa or at, you know, I say Wawa, I'm Jersey guy, but you know, at a convenience store, uh, what have you, quick check, 7-Eleven at whatever your local convenience store, uh, if, approach one and have a conversation or go to your local police department and say, hey, does any, uh, is there someone uh, on here that would have five or 10 minutes for a conversation? 
Uh, and I think you'd be surprised that people would be willing to have a great lengthy conversation on how to get your foot in the door. Mm, that's good. And what about like, what, like as qualities, do you see, are there like certain qualities that you think like administrators are looking for in women, or do you think it's just in police officers in general? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think it's police officers in general, really. I, I think it is. That, that was always the way I approached it. And you know, there were times when I would even hear from the mayor or commissioners like, hey, we're going to be hiring officers, but it would be nice to have this type officer on the police force. You know, that those things are absolutely said um, either overtly or covertly to law enforcement administrators. And I would never dig my heels in or have a, have a lengthy conversation with them about it. I would say, OK, very good. And then when I was in charge of hiring people, I would tell my officers that were doing the interviewing and doing the background checks. Hey, listen, we're looking for the best applicant for the job. That's the bottom line. I don't put a color, uh, a sexual orientation, anything on it. I want the best officers. Give me the best candidates. Run them all through the same uh, interview process, the background process, and give me the best candidates. Uh, you know, they have to be squared away and they need to be have their stuff together, quite frankly. And, that, you know, so I don't uh, we were never in in the market for selecting a certain person because of this or that. And we weren't excluding anyone because of anything. And like, what would you say would be a best candidate? Break it down for me. Like the people that are listening, they're going to want to know because they want to embody those traits. They want to embody that, whether they have them naturally or like they have to go work on them. I get messages all the time. Like what makes a great police officer? What are administrators looking for? What are police departments looking for? Like what, so could you break that down for me? Like what is, what would be great qualities, male or female doesn't matter just for an officer. Yeah, well, uh, when, hey, when you're trying to break into law enforcement and when you're in the initial stages of exploring it, putting in applications, doing interviews, I think there's a couple of critical things you need to do. For one, you need to be very cognizant that every interaction that you have with the police department, there are notes being taken, either whether they're being physically written down or they're up here and they're mentally being passed on to someone else. You know, a lot of times I saw people coming into the police department I, or I didn't actually see them. But they would come in, they would have a very laissez-faire attitude. They would come in with, you know, big white sunglasses and men with double earrings in and um, talking too low, not being dressed appropriate. Uh, and, and these little notations would be marked down when they were picking up an application. So I think the first thing you need to do is realize that it's not just the interview when you're dealing with these police departments. You know, they would see that the car was parked sideways in a parking spot out there, had all tinted out front windows, which is illegal in New Jersey. And these little notations would be made. And, you know, these little things make a difference because you're talking about a profession where you need to pay attention to detail. Mm -hmm. So that's something I think is important to know. Like once you're starting to start this process at all times, be dressed appropriately, act appropriately, um, eye contact. If you don't have great eye contact, you know, practice it in a mirror, a firm handshake. Uh, it can be very intimidating for anyone, not just a female, but anybody uh, that is not a law enforcement officer to walk into a police station and have somebody in a uniform come out and have a conversation with you. It can be intimidating. And that's not even saying getting to the point of having a, an interview with three or four of these people sitting across the table trying to shake you because they're intentionally trying to see how you are under pressure. You know, Just that first initial couple contacts, picking up an application, dropping an application off, uh, a very preliminary precursor type interview can be intimidating. So mm -hmm. just know that if you have to look in the mirror and practice your, how you stand, how you look, 
Um, you know, look at other police officers, how they carry themselves and think about that and try to portray that. What do you think's like some obvious disqualifiers? Uh, obvious, uh, obvious disqualifiers that are like official ones. And again, this is, you know, every particular agency and state uh, have their own uh, disqualifiers. And you can usually find these very easily on their website or mm -hmm. in the application packet itself. But, you know, uh, of course, criminal charges, um, DWIs, in many cases, they are all automatic disqualifiers. Uh, you know, the, these things are usually statutorily set up or in the guidelines or the standard operating procedures of the agency. And you usually can find those out. Uh, but ones that are automatic disqualifiers that are like kind of hidden or, or unofficial, you know, for those, I would say somebody that's just way too timid, um, somebody that you have uh, in during the background, a lot of people talk badly about them. Uh, you have somebody that just won't look you in the eyes. And, you know, it's very specific on certain individual people that are actually in the process interviewing you. Uh, people that stick out for one way or another. Um, they're too overbearing or they're, you know, they're too, too aggressive during the interview or they're too back. I mean, you want to, um, you want to blend. You want to seem uh, extremely confident, but not overconfident, if that, if that makes sense. I mean, you want to kind of, uh, you know, if you were in the police academy, you would understand this. You don't want to be the person that sticks out in any way. You want to look as mm -hmm. uniform as possible. You don't mm -hmm. want to be the person that's volunteering too much is, is almost as bad as like trying to, you know, be meek and not, you know, not hold yourself correctly. So you want to look like you have your stuff together. You want to be confident. You want to be strong, but you don't want to be shaken easily. And you don't want to be, you don't want to stand out for any reason. Mm, that that's huge right there. That that's fucking huge. Yeah. yeah. That, that was really good because <clears throat> the thing is, is uh, like, as women, we already stand out. We do like, let's just, we're not oh, absolutely we just do. <laughs> and so this really coincides with everything I say is like, okay, listen. And like, Tom, I know this isn't like your expertise, but I always say, I'm like, listen, you can wear a little bit of makeup, but let's not look fucking airbrushed. Like, let's not look like a supermodel. Let's like put our hair back things that make like resemble you already to be that officer, because would you agree with me or disagree? Tell me the truth. But like when you have an officer coming in for, let's say their oral board, right? The officers, would you say that it's true or false that the agencies want to visualize what the officer is going to look like, what the person is going to look like as an officer. If like they can visualize this person as an officer, th then you're probably going to pass the oral board. Yes or no? Oh, absolutely. 100%. I mean, they're, they're, like I said, they're constantly watching you and judging you and thinking, how would you reflect this agency when you're wearing that uniform on duty and when you're off duty? Like what, you know, they're going to get into your social media. You know, they're going to look at how you carry yourself as a person, what you're doing on duty, what you're, you know, what you're doing in your off duty behavior, the thing about in the future, how are you going to represent their agency. Mm -hmm. So yeah, 100%. They're thinking about what you're going to look like in a uniform, how you're going to conduct yourself. Um, you know, 100% truthful. Yeah, I think so. I would I say that, you know, that's, that's a large part of the interview process itself. And many times it's not the actual questions they're asking. It's how you're answering them. You know, they don't expect somebody on an interview to know how to handle specific calls or scenarios that they put you through, but they want to make sure that you're confident they want to make sure that you're not shaken because they're trying to get a rise out of you. Um, you know, so there are a lot of 
a lot of things outside the realm of just the questions themselves. The answers sometimes are not as important as how, how strong you stand in your convictions of what you're doing, uh, how you answer it, how long it takes you. Are you indecisive? Uh, and they don't want uh, a police officer that's going to be indecisive. Exactly. So there's a lot of things. And like, P.S. girls, listen up. We tend to be a little more indecisive. <laughs> so we got to, you know, we really got to work on that. And, and I think it, in my opinion, that really comes from confidence. And I believe that confidence is an inner thing. I know that because I'm not naturally a super, naturally I'm not a confident person, but people come to me and be like, oh my gosh, Autumn, like you come off really confident. But the thing is, is I've worked at it. I've worked at it constantly. Um, and so in my opinion, yeah, like if you, if you're going to be sure of yourself, you're going to be confident. And if you're confident, then you're going to be able to be more decisive You're in making your decisions. You're not going to be like, oh, well, well, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Like, and that's huge. And that, wouldn't you agree that will go into the category of like timidness, right? Like if somebody can't make a decision, we're not looking at them like, oh yeah, right. Yeah. That person's com- confident. We're more like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to look negatively upon you. Sure. And I think it's important also for women to realize too, when they go into these interviews, you know, eight, uh, there's so many different cultures of agencies and it'd yes. be good to get a heads up and know, Hey, is this going to be a more professional type of, uh, interview? Or is this an agency that's going to have a board and they're going to try to like do an interview that's going to rattle you. And sometimes agencies mm. will do multiple interviews and they have different purposes for each phase. And, you know, if, Hey, you get there's, you know, there are interviews that every single person, regardless of who they are, come out thinking they bombed the interview. And the purpose of those interviews are to really rattle you. And and sometimes it's not a lot. Sometimes it's just to get a little bit of a rise out of you or to get you tripped up or to make you second guess yourself. Uh, So, you know, it's hard for all candidates to really walk away from those interviews and feel like, Hey, I'm doing terrible. Maybe I should, maybe I should throw my hat in. I'm not going to do this anymore. Uh, Throw in the towel rather. But I think it's important to realize that that's the purpose of those interviews. And just because you walk out of that, maybe you don't get hired by that agency, don't give up because there are interviews out there. And the purpose is to really try to get a rise out of you or to trip you up. When you agree that like right now is a perfect time to want to be, it's to want to get into police work because everyone's hiring. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's an interesting time. You know, it, it ebbs and it flows. And right now everyone is hiring. Um, and it's a time when it's a difficult time for people to make the decision that they want to go into law enforcement, you know, and people always say, oh, what would you want for your own children? You know, and of course, like I would want my kids to make their own decision on what they want to do in their in their life. Uh, and it's, it's difficult uh, when I would go around to school children to read books for read across America or what have you as the chief of police. Uh, you know, you want what's best for these individual children. But deep down, you know, also that like, Policing needs good people. I want good people attracted to this career. I don't want to deter people uh, from entering a career in law enforcement. It was very fulfilling for me. Uh, it's a very challenging career. And like I said, there are ebbs and flows. After, um, after 9-11, police officers could do no wrong. Uh, then you cycle it back around to the George Floyd incident and um, other high-profile incidents of things that go wrong and uprising and then the defund movement and that ball gets rolling and now police can do no right. You know, um, they're, they're judged. They're looked down upon. People dump water on them in public and video this and put it on social media. And, you know, who wants to go into that profession? Uh, it's a very difficult time. But like I said, the pendulum will swing back again. I'm confident of it. 
like I said, it, it can be an extremely challenging career and an extremely rewarding career. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree. Now, so Tom, how's retirement? Oh, retirement is great. It is good. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, my wife uh, will say I'm working harder now some days than uh, when I was uh, when I was uh, the chief of police. But it's a different type of work. Uh, it, it's just completely different. I'm enjoying the change. Uh, I was uh, working at a great agency. I love the people. I love the job. But just financially, it made sense for me to walk away. It made sense for me to just start a new chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 26 years of doing something. Um, I was looking for something, something different, a different challenge. So I found it here at Street Cop Training. I'm enjoying my time here. Uh, and it gives me the opportunity to still be working kind of in the field. I'm still dealing with law enforcement officers, which I feel very comfortable with and, uh, helping mentoring them with different classes, bringing them on here. It's another role that I have is an administrative role. So I'm enjoying it. Uh, I just, uh, I'm enjoying it. I love that. Now, would you give us, as we wrap up, could you give us some like rookie to retirement advice? Give us advice to leave us with. Rookie to retirement advice. If you're young and you're getting into this field, the number one thing that I recommend, and it's regardless of whether you're getting into law enforcement or you decide not to get into law enforcement, is invest invest financially, even a small amount. There are a lot of different investment vehicles out there, Roth IRAs, deferred compensation plans. I go through this in the class. You know, there were two mentors I ran across in my career when I was very young, fortunate enough to tell me that. I didn't understand compounding interest. I didn't understand how important it was. And I did not put a lot of money into these things. When I first started my Roth IRA, the $2,000 was the maximum amount you could put in annually. Uh, And when it came time to retire, uh, that money was sitting there for me in the Roth IRA, which I can't touch till I'm 62 and a half. But the deferred comp was there uh, for me. And I said, if I didn't put that, those little bits amount, I'm talking small amount of money. If I hadn't put that in there, it would have been left on the bar floor, at the clubs, mm-hmm. the, bought some toys that I didn't need or would have forgot about by now. Yeah. Uh, I would, whenever I would get a raise or a bump in pay, I would increase it a tiny little bit. I would still pay myself. I would still get my money, mm-hmm. but I would put a tiny little bit in there. Um, so yeah, that would be, that would be one thing. And uh, just from the financial uh, standpoint and, you know, retirement isn't all about financial. It's really about a lot of other things. And the other thing that I would just give is just um, don't become so immersed in the law enforcement culture that it takes over your life. Because I've seen a lot of people, uh, it becomes their identity. They lose their friends and their family members that are outside law enforcement. And um, at the end, when they do retire, they don't have really much left. You know, so keep hobbies, uh, keep friends outside law enforcement. Um, those, those, those things are critically important. So good. Thank you so much for this. This is really good. It's really nice to get a perspective of um, a chief of police, you know, especially we have a lot of women going into the job, looking to get into the job. So you provide a lot of good stuff as well as for my female officers who need to come take your class rookie to retirement, because we all need to be squared away. So happy to be able to spread your gospel, Tom. Um, And everybody who wants to sign up for your class, they can just go to where? Uh, they can go to the street cop training website, streetcoptraining.com. Uh, right from there, there's uh, right on the homepage, there's a roster of all the great classes that we offer. Scroll down to the rookie retirement. You click on that button or any of the buttons of the classes that you want to, and it'll bring you to a specific page where it shows all the locations uh, that that class is coming. And if it's not coming to you, many of the classes are now available on demand. Uh, and if you uh, take it on demand, 
along with the cost of admission to on-demand, you will be allowed to then also take it in a person if it comes to your area at any time. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Tom. We'll see Thank you next you, time. Thank you. They buried me in the water and I came out new. <laughs> now I'm baptized in blood. Family, country, and town. The media don't cover us. Huh. Well, maybe Fox, cause MSNBC and CNN surely don't care about cops. Politicians more concerned about protecting the legal that are laying the law down and protecting the people. Let me get off my soapbox before I curse. I don't see way too many cops riding in hearse. Well, I wouldn't expect you to understand what I do. Only the thin blue light, cause they baptized in blue. Uh. I'm a fighter. So when you read my head, don't you know I die for something? You hyper 
sensitive, she can play by justified force. You blame the cops first, that don't work, you blame the courts. But I wouldn't expect you to understand what I do, only the thin blue line, cause they baptized in blue arm. Oh, I'm a fighter, I'm a winner, never quit, I refuse to lose. I got heart and I got gritty, I'm a warrior, that's been baptized in blue. I'm a warrior, that's been baptized in blue. I'm a fighter. I'm a warrior that's been baptized in blue, oh.